Well, hey, Parkview. How are you? So good to be with you today and to be with all the Parkview family. How about joining me and giving a big welcome to everybody on the other side of the camera at Homer Glen and New Lenox. And you guys give a big welcome to everybody in Orland Park. And Facebook Live is out there. It's so cool what you're all doing together. And it's great to be back to Parkview. I, I get invited to speak a lot of different places, but nobody ever invites me back. And uh, Parkview invites me back. And uh, it, it's been a couple of years since I've been here, and there's a whole lot of new people here that weren't here the last time that I was here. And it's been so fun meeting some of you uh, this weekend. And I know what you're wondering right now, so we're just going to get it right out of the way, right at the front end. You're wondering, uh, Gene, is that your real voice? Do you really sound like that, right? You know, I'd give your audio team 100 bucks if they could make me sound like Barry White today. <laughs> kind of Jesus loves you, baby. Something like that. Uh, but instead, when God was handing out voices, I got one that sounds like I've been inhaling helium for four days. <laughs> so that's what you're stuck with. Uh, but anyway, I just love this church, and, and I love your pastor. You do know, don't you, you have one of the great pastors in America at Parkview. My, my wife, Barbara, and I just consider Tim and Denise some of our best ministry friends. I've literally known Tim and Denise uh, since we were all kids. And uh, they're, they're just such great friends. And I'm so glad he's having some time to rest and refresh and renew and uh, recharge. And it's great to be with you. Well, back, I, I went out for a walk one beautiful evening in Southern California. It had been a long, hot day. And I try to walk for about an hour uh, six days a week, and often I walk with my wife, Barbara, but she'd already walked earlier in the day, and uh, so anyway, I'd been out walking for about 45 minutes. I was about 15 minutes from home, and it was dusk, and it was just starting to get dark, and I was walking on the right side of the road, and I was next to a hill that went about uh, 40 feet high. There was some vegetation and trees on the hill, and all of a sudden, I heard a stirring of a brush uh, in the hill, and it was not an animal but multiple animals. And all of a sudden, darting down that hill at about 100 miles an hour were six coyotes coming right at me, each the size of about a German shepherd, it looked like. Three of them went in front of me, three of them went behind me, and my heart is racing. And I thought, where is Barbara when I need her? <laughs> because if she was with me, I knew I wouldn't need to be able to run faster than the coyotes. I'd just need to be able to run faster than Barbara, right? So they're barking up a storm, and they're howling, and, and I thought, this is not how I dreamed this day was going to go. But fortunately, uh, after stopping and barking for a while, then they just took off, and they all kept running, scaled over a tall block wall about six foot high. I don't think I would have believed it if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes. I was fine. I just want you to know in case you were concerned about me. But uh, those coyotes do owe me a new pair of underwear. Sometimes uh, your day or your week, sometimes even your life doesn't go like you dreamed, right? Every one of us knows what it is to feel disappointed with life. It's, it's universal. Disappointment with something, with some situation, with someone. Your team didn't get the win, you didn't get the part, didn't get the job, didn't pass the test, didn't make the sale. Life is full of broken dreams. But disappointment goes to a whole nother level when you're disappointed with God and when it feels like God isn't listening to you anymore, when it seems as though God has abandoned you or just walked away and he's just silent. 
I know many great committed followers of Jesus who dream to be linked together in a Christian marriage with a man or woman who share their spiritual priorities, and, and they've been waiting and doing all the things they ought to be doing and being in the right places and not in the wrong places and, and praying. They may be even hanging around the gathering areas after church today thinking, this may be the day, you know, I meet him, I meet her. But right now they're living with a broken dream. I know some married people who are waiting for God to come heal their marriage and to make their marriage better. And they've been trying and praying, but right now they're living a broken dream. I know for a lot of people, they're waiting on God to do something in their physical bodies or the physical bodies of someone that they love to do a healing. And they're living with a broken dream. For some, the broken dream was a childhood that was wounding and it complicated your entire life. Or the broken dream may have been a financial collapse that led to too much pressure on everything else and the rest of your life collapsed. So today what I want to do is I, I want to focus on how Jesus restores broken dreams by unpa unpacking and applying a passage in John chapter 11 where several friends of Jesus are dealing with a broken dream. And before we jump into 11, John 11, if I could, I, I want to take a moment and tell you a little bit about my own story. I grew up in a small Midwest town in central Illinois, Lincoln, Illinois. And my folks decided early on in their marriage that they would keep their family small in order to give their kids a lot of opportunity so we could get ahead. And so they stopped after six kids. <laughs> and uh, I was number six. Actually, they stopped after having five kids. And they decided their family was complete, and they sold the high chair and the crib and all the baby gear and everything like that. And five years later, Gene Bryan came bouncing into their lives as the bonus baby. And uh, some might say I was the mistake. I was told mom and dad I was the unexpected blessing in their lives. Now, uh, I know we all come from different kinds of families of origin and backgrounds. And, and for reasons I don't understand, many of you had very difficult childhoods. Uh, but I was one of those fortunate kids who grew up with a dad and mom that marked my life in incredibly positive ways. My dad was a pastor, and uh, while some pastor's kids resent being pastor's kids, not me, uh, my dad was the real deal. He was the same guy at home that he was in public. And, and uh, you know how, like, a lot of kids will grow up playing house or playing doctor or whatever it is they play. I know this will sound weird to you, but we grew up at our house playing church. We'd have little, uh, you know mock church services in the living room. I have three older sisters. They'd do a worship team. And then one of my brothers would give a prayer and I'd give a message. And then we'd hit mom or dad four or five times with the offering bucket before they realized what was happening. It was a very profitable experience for us <laughs> growing up. And so as a pastor, my dad never made a great deal of money, but uh, he was always generous. And he was determined that he would make some sacrifices in order to build some significant memories for his kids. And so since the year of my birth, uh, I have spent time every summer uh, at a cabin on a beautiful lake uh, in northern Minnesota. And the way that that tradition started in our family is back in the 50s, before I was born, Dad got together with two other financially challenged pastor friends, and they pooled their resources, and they bought two beautiful lakefront lots on this lake in Minnesota for $250 a piece. Ended up being a pretty good investment, actually. And they bought a cabin kit for $500, and these three pastors built board by board, nail by nail, a little cabin for their three families to share. And they were so poor, this is true, they couldn't even afford a level. 
And to be honest with you, that old cabin looks like it was built by three pastors who couldn't afford a level. <laughs> For years, the only running water we had was if uh, somebody would yell water and one of his kids would run out back and we would hand pump uh, the water and bring it in in a bucket. The only bathroom we had, the only toilet, was a little building out back over a hole in the ground uh, called the outhouse. How many of you know what an outhouse is? Yeah, you know, something that was always a mystery to me is why it was a two-seater. Because no two people I know would like everyone to share that experience together, right? <laughs> but in spite of all of its structural imperfections, when I think of my greatest childhood memories, that's the spot I think of. That's where my dad taught me to swim, to water ski, to canoe, to fish, to drive boats. There were no phones in those days, no interruptions, just a lot of laughter, late night card games, playing on the water most of the day. Sometimes we'd have like family devotions around the fireplace at night. And, and don't get me wrong, we are far from a perfect family. But honestly, I feel like my childhood was like most kids' dreams. So I'll never forget the summer day when I was 14 years old. I'd been out fishing with my dad and my grandfather. and We were in Minnesota, came back to the cabin. Dad wasn't feeling well. And uh, after dinner that night, he laid down. I went out onto the lake to hang out with some of my, bu my buddies. And when I came back home, my neighbor was there, Bob Peacock, waiting for me to tell me that mom had taken my dad to the little local hospital there. Later, we found out he'd had a massive heart attack. Many of you know what it is to get the news, to get the emergency phone call, to get the visit from the police. It just changes everything. And it shatters your dreams. Sooner or later in life, we all get bad news. And that's how our passage begins in John chapter 11 that I want to unpack today. In verse 1, John 11, it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, Lazarus, a little background here, and his sisters, Mary and Martha, lived in a little town called Bethany, which was essentially a suburb of Jerusalem. And they developed a really tight friendship with Jesus, who would often stay with them when he traveled their way. Maybe Lazarus had a fever, coughed up a little blood, felt a lump somewhere, pain in his chest. It happens every day. And he went to get whatever kind of medical help was available in those days, but evidently the doctors just shook their heads and said, uh, there's nothing we can do. And I want to pause right here because while I'm confident a number of you are celebrating great things right now, and this is a really good season in your life, there are others of you who are really hurting right now. Maybe you've received some similar kind of bad news. In fact, maybe you've heard someone say these kinds of words like I did and heard when I was 14 years old, Gene the one you love is sick. The one you love has had a massive heart attack. Or maybe for you is the one you love has cancer. Or maybe the bad news was the job you love is going away. The boyfriend or girlfriend you love is breaking it off. Or the principal calls from the high school to talk about your teenager, and it's not a call to tell you that he made the honor roll, if you know what I mean. And so you got some bad news. Something that's not good. Now, in the middle of this scene, Jesus says something. It's just amazing. Verse 4. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. 
Jesus is saying God is going to bring glory to himself through the worst news that you could ever imagine. The thing that you would never want to happen. God's going to bring glory to himself. Now, let me just summarize some of the following verses. Basically, everybody believes Jesus is going to come and help. But what does Jesus do? Nothing. For two full days, he doesn't do a thing. He just hangs out miles away from here with no urgency. They're all freaking out. Jesus is just hanging out. And then Jesus tells his disciples after a couple days, guys, uh, we need to head back to Judea, which is the area where Bethany and Jerusalem are. Lazarus needs me. He's fallen asleep. And we need to go wake him up. Now, when Jesus said he's falling, fallen asleep, he's not saying he's like tired and taking a nap. He was using sleep as a metaphor to say Lazarus is dead and we need to go raise him from the dead. Now, I want to look at three of the people in this story who all have broken dreams. And maybe at some point in your life, some of you can relate to what they were going through. Let's start with Thomas in this story who was dealing with dreams broken by doubts. In fact, Thomas is famous for his nickname, right? His famous nickname was Doubting Thomas, yeah. And we see this in verse 16. It says, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, that's an interesting name, isn't it? It uh, sounds like a name of a bad rapper or something like that, doesn't it? You know, Didymus or something. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, Thomas is not like the Tony Robbins in this story, okay? I think like Eeyore was his spirit animal. <laughs> Thomas has his doubt. He's like, this is not going to turn out good. We're going to go with Jesus. We're going to die with him because the last time Jesus was in that area, religious leaders tried to kill him. Now, show of hands on something at every campus. Let's all be honest. How many of you at some point in your life have wrestled with spiritual doubt? Just raise your hand. Okay, thanks for your honesty on that. The rest of you can just... Polish your halos for the next few moments because I want to talk to real people for a moment. <laughs> because everybody I know at some point in their life prayed a prayer, believed God could and would do something, and he didn't, and boom, they're bombarded with doubts. Why didn't God do this? Or maybe you grew up with a simple faith in God, and then you went to college, got to the freshman Bible lit class. Some professor said, well, this stuff in the Bible didn't really happen. And you're like, well, is this real? Or did I just too easily embrace my parents' faith? Or you believed in God and then something bad happened to somebody you love and you think, well, if God is good and loving, why did he allow that to happen? If he's all-powerful, why didn't he stop this? And suddenly, you're like Thomas. You've got dreams broken by doubts. Or maybe for you, it's not doubt, but like Mary in our story, you have dreams that have been broken by discouragement. Mary was so discouraged that when they all heard that Jesus was coming and her sister Martha went out to meet her, Mary just stayed back at home. She's like, why bother? Lazarus is already dead. There's nothing you can do about it now. And this is some of you right now. You have dreams that have been broken by discouragement, and you think, there's nothing that can be done about it now. I'm always going to feel alone. I'm always going to be stuck in this dead-end job. I'm always going to be depressed. I'm never going to have the marriage that I dreamed of. Or maybe you relate with another person in this story, Martha today, whose dreams were broken by delay. One of the things that's universally true about all of us, isn't it? We hate to wait. We hate to wait while Netflix is buffering. 
We hate to wait for someone to reply to our text message. Hey, where's that bubble? I waited for 56 years of my life for the Cubs to win a World Series. <laughs> 55 of those years, my dreams were broken by delay. Verse 17 of the passage says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days. Now, why does that matter? So that we understand that in Martha's mind, Lazarus wasn't just mostly dead, Princess Bride fans. He was all the way dead. He was dead dead. He had flatlined, bought the farm, kicked the bucket. He was worm feed, six feet under, pushing up daisies. And so when Jesus arrives on the scene, verse 21, Martha says, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's as if she's saying, why did you delay? Why'd you wait? Why didn't you come sooner? This never would have happened. If only. Every one of us has some if onlys in our lives, don't we? If only I had not said those words. If only I had made a wiser choice. If only I'd gone to the doctor sooner. If only I'd told her that I loved her. If only I hadn't quit. If only I'd said, please forgive me. Four days after my dad's heart attack, his condition continued to worsen, and it became necessary to transport him by ambulance from the little hospital he was at in Park Rapids, Minnesota, population 4,000, so you can imagine the hospital, to the large hospital 90 miles away in Fargo, North Dakota. And most of the family left to get ahead of the ambulance, to be there, to uh, be there when the ambulance arrived. But except my brother Mike and I, we went back to the family cabin where we were going to pack things for the family and then we were going to join them in Fargo. And I remember standing outside the cabin and watching a familiar car drive up the road. It was my dad's best friend. And he got out of the car and he came up and he put one arm around me just like this and one arm around my brother Mike just like this. And he said, boys, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. The good news is your daddy's gone to heaven today. And the bad news is he isn't with us any longer. And just like that, my dream childhood and my dream family and my dream dad was gone. To be honest with you, when you're in a broken dream moment like that, it's hard to believe that God can bring anything good out of it. Everything looks bad in this scene in John 11. But then Martha says to Jesus in verse 22, but I know that, everybody say these two words, even now. Let's say it again. I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Martha looks at Jesus and says, I know that even now with dreams broken by doubts, dreams broken by discouragement, dreams broken by delay, even now God will give you whatever you ask. And some of you today, you need to have an even now moment with God. Even now in the midst of your broken dream, God can come into your life through the presence of his Holy Spirit and he can bring you a peace that passes understanding. Even now, God can reach down into your whacked out family and bring healing and harmony and forgiveness and restoration. Even now, in a moment where your heart may be cold and callous toward God, 
In just a moment, that can all change, and your heart can soften, and you can find yourself being drawn to God. Passage continues. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Oh, yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. She responds, yeah, yeah, I know that. That's what all these well-meaning friends of mine back at the house keep telling me. But right now, Jesus, it really hurts. And then Jesus utters some of the most significant words that have ever been spoken in the history of the world. Verses 25 and 26. I am the resurrection. Notice he doesn't say, I'm able to resurrect. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this? Martha responds, yes. Yes, Lord, she told him, I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. And now Martha goes to the house, gets her sister Mary. Jesus had stayed outside the village, close to where Lazarus was buried. And this is a cool scene because now here comes Martha and all of her grieving friends and family members walking toward Jesus. Verse 32. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet. And she said, Lord. In this interesting, she makes the same statement her sister Martha had made. She says, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. The passage continues. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Some versions translate that deep anger as deeply moved, but I like, I like the way the New Living Translation calls it what it is. It's like he was thinking, I hate death makes me angry. This is not the way it was supposed to be. I mean, dying stinks. Being in hospice care, as caring as those wonderful people are, is not exactly a picnic. Making funeral arrangements and then standing and receiving at a line at a visitation for hours, it's not a lot of fun. Throwing dirt on a freshly dug grave, it'll rip your heart out. In this moment, it ripped Jesus' heart out too. Believe me, God hates death more than you do. In fact, as Mary and the others are weeping and wailing, Jesus is so moved and deeply troubled. The verse 35 says, many of you are familiar with this verse, it says, then Jesus wept. Jesus stands there with all this emotion welling up inside of him, and he just loses it. He's just standing, not in his stomach, swallowing hard, tears rolling down his face. Why do you suppose Jesus wept? Did he weep for himself because of his friend Lazarus had died and he was just hurting? I don't think so. Because, spoiler alert, he knows he's getting ready to raise him back to life. Did he weep for Lazarus because he had to bring him back to earth? Sorry, bro, got to bring you back. Some scholars believe that maybe Jesus cried because of what he knows he's bringing Lazarus back from a perfect place where heartbreak and disease and death and evil and suffering can no longer touch us. Maybe he wept because of that. But I think the real answer is the obvious one. He wept because his friends Mary and Martha were crushed by a broken dream. And even though he knows the end of your story, when you don't know the end of your story, he weeps with you. He still feels your pain of disappointment. 
Well, Jesus arrives at the tomb of Lazarus where there's a gravestone blocking the entrance. Verse 39, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. The literal King James translation of that verse, go look it up today if you don't believe me, says, she says, Lord, he stinketh. Lazarus is so dead, it stinketh death, okay? I might say he's stanky. Now, if you know about Martha from the Bible, you know she's a very meticulous hostess. Her last name might have been Stuart. And so it's just like her to say, ooh, Jesus, I would like ixnay on the tombstone thing. The smell, it's going to send everyone home. I'm totally out of Febreze. Verse 43, then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. And the celebration begins. But it didn't take long for a word of this amazing miracle to travel. And by the time it reaches Jerusalem, the religious leaders are getting worried and they say, Ooh, we have to quit stalling, enough talking. We got to do something about this Jesus and do it now. Now he's raising the dead. And you see, while Jesus had delayed Lazarus' death with this miracle, he accelerated his own death. Because you see, it's just within a few days of this miracle that Jesus is arrested, falsely accused, convicted in a mock trial, beaten, scourged, nailed to a cross as a common criminal to die for your sins and my sins. And now the body of the one who called Lazarus from the grave was trapped in the same kind of tomb. But on Easter Sunday morning, everything changes. The eyes that closed on the cross popped open in the grave. The hands that fell limp behind the nails straightened in the dark. The body that was crushed on the hill regained strength and walked out of that tomb. And he is alive. And it's why Jesus is the greatest of all time. And today that same Jesus says to you and me, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this? That's the question I was wrestling with on the day that my dad died. The day of my broken dream. Do I really believe this? I'd grown up to believe in Jesus. I'd accepted him at a young age, been baptized. But this was the first real test of my faith. Was it my faith or was I just coasting on the coattails of my mom and dad's faith? A few hours after his death, our family was all deeply grieving and packing and preparing to make the 700-mile drive back to our hometown down in Lincoln for the funeral. And my mom asked me if I would walk down the road. There was a little convenience store to resort about a half mile away where over the course of the summer we'd buy newspapers and coffee and groceries and, and things like that. And this was the old days. They would keep a tab. They would actually keep a tab. And she asked me if I'd go pay it off. And I said, sure. So she gave me a lot of cash. And I walked down the road that day. And, and it was on that little walk, that pine tree lined road, at 14 years of age, that, that I had an even now 
moment with God. I remember everything about that walk in vivid detail. I even remember what I was wearing. I was wearing a pair of plaid bell-bottoms with cuffs about this big and a maroon-colored T-shirt. I may have only been 14 years old. I had a pretty good fashion sense about myself. <laughs> and as I walked down the road that day, I just kind of sensed God talking to me. And here's what I sensed him saying. Was, Gene, what happened to your dad today is going to happen to every person on the face of the earth. One day is going to be their last day on this planet. And there's only one thing that matters on that day. Only one thing. Are they ready? Did they encounter the amazing grace that is available to them through Jesus Christ like your dad encountered and pointed you to? And here's what I just sensed God saying to me that day is, Gene, if you will just trust me with your life, if you'll just put your hand in my hand, I'm going to use your life to help people get ready for their last day on this planet and to live every day between now and then in my power and grace. You know, ironically, it was out of my broken dream that God brought a new dream. It was out of my broken dream that God gave me the ability to dream again. In fact, part of the reason you're in church today and hearing a message of hope for your life from my lips is because 45 years ago this Thursday, in my worst moment, God gave me an even now moment. And the mission and the passion and the obsession of my life is to help people like you prepare for your last day on this planet and to live every day between now and then in God's power and grace. And so I just need to ask you today, are you ready for your last day? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And notice this, and who? Everyone, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this? Do you? Are you ready to believe it today? Would you bow your head with me for prayer? Some of you have had a nerve struck today in your heart. And you know today, this moment could be the start of a new beginning in your life, the restoring of a broken dream. And maybe it surprised you because you thought it was just going to another church service today. And now you know it's much deeper than that. A deeper chord has been struck in your life, and you know you needed to be here today. You needed to be here. You need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to experience life, life to the full that he gives. And maybe you're saying, that's what I want for my life, the same hope that they gave Jesus, that Jesus gave to Mary and Martha and to Lazarus, and, and he gave to Jean. I want that for me. And if that's you, would you just pray silently this prayer with me? God, God will hear it. Just silently say something like, Lord, today I've seen my life for what it really is. 
and I don't understand all that I'm feeling right now, but I do know I need you. And I'm surrendering my life today to the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ through his death on a cross for me, his burial, his resurrection from the tomb. I know I need him to restore my life, to restore my broken dreams. I know that through him I'll find the power and the life and the freedom to keep going. So God, beginning today, everything changes. Priorities are shifting in my life. If you're praying that prayer today, whatever campus you're at, would, would you let Parkview know there, there's, a, there's a card in front of you, a communication card on the seat in front of you. And today before you leave, would you just commit on there where it says, I'm committing my life to Jesus and let Parkview know so someone here can encourage you. And then just to show you're serious, that, like you really mean this and this is a turning point in your life, would you also check the box that, that says, you know, I'm interested in being baptized. That's like your first step of obedience now that you've put your faith in Jesus. And then just drop that card off in one of the offering and communication boxes on your way out today at your campus. Jesus, thank you for being a God who restores broken dreams. When our dreams are broken by delay, by doubts and disbelief, by discouragement. Thank you for restoring broken dreams for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Thank you for doing it in my life. Thank you for doing it in hundreds and even thousands of people in this church who are here today because they've learned you're a faithful God. And Heavenly Father, for those who are saying yes to Jesus today, who are putting their faith in him to walk in his power and grace, between now and their last day on this planet and every day you have ahead for them in eternity beyond the grave. We thank you and we pray for them. Keep your hand on the lives of those who are really hurting and grieving today, God. May they feel your supernatural peace and presence. And we lift our prayers to you with gratitude in the name of the resurrection and the life, Jesus Christ. And everybody agreed together and said, amen. God bless all of you. Thank you.